Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 51, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, October the 28th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. appreciate it very much. We are uh, in the book of Ecclesiasticus still, which is, again, an apocryphal book. It's not in the canon of Scripture. If you buy a normal Bible, you won't find it in there. It's it's included in Bibles for the Catholic Church, but also the, they're used, the books are used by the Jews, by uh, Anglicans and uh, Eastern Orthodox, or the Orthodox, as well as the Lutherans, but not as a part of Scripture. They're, they're sort of these little secondary books that are considered, you know, relatively important. In other words, more important than other books, but less important than the scriptures themselves. And so it's proverb. They're proverbs. And so we're in Ecclesiasticus thirty-four one to eight, and then verses 18 to 22 in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 13 through verse 31, and in the book of the Revelation, chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. So here's the Ecclesiasticus reading. A man of no understanding has vain and false hopes, and dreams give wings to fools. And, you know, Suzanne and I were talking about this yesterday, actually, about with respect to somebody that we know, and um, there was a little set of uh, aphorisms that I learned way back when I was in high school. So you're talking about now a very long time ago, 40 plus years. And and one of the things that, that it was, this was an economics teacher that taught this. Um, and, and what he taught was, was this, it says, um, he who knows not and knows not that he knows not, he is a fool, shun him. He who knows not and knows that he knows not, he is simple, teach him. He who knows and knows not that he knows, he is asleep, wake him. And he who knows and knows that he knows, he is wise, follow him. So here what we get is a man of no understanding has vain and false hopes. And and that's the the reality is is if you don't understand something, then you, then you can have a vain and false hope. In a, in, a, in a particular outcome, and if you don't take the time to understand it and you won't listen to other people trying to help you understand that, then you will continue to cherish vain and false hopes that are never going to be realized un- unless some absolute miracle occurs. Um, and it's it's something that, that we need to always be aware of. We need to be aware of where we lack understanding. And, and whenever anyone tries to bring that understanding to us, we need to be humble enough to hear it. <clears throat> As one who catches at a shadow and pursues the wind, so is he who gives heed to dreams. And, and you know, I, I know people who, who kind of believe their dreams to be prophetic. And I had a, a friend who believed a dream she had was prophetic. And it, it, it was, but not in the way she heard it. She had um, sort of an axe to grind with somebody else, and so she thought this dream applied to them, in spite of the fact none of the details in the dream involved that other person at all. Everything that she dreamed about happened in her own yard. The other person wasn't even involved in the um, in the dream itself. And so, but what it really did apply to her, but she applied it to this other person because she had an axe to grind against that person. Now, she had a dream later that had to do with that person, and and it was actually a prophetic dream. Uh, it, it, there was a long time before that it would actually happen, but but what she saw actually was correct. 
but but the problem is is that that people will will follow their the, these dreams that they have and they will believe them to be real and the problem is frequently you're just chasing the wind as, as scrooge said you know you might be a bit of undigested beef <clears throat> the vision of dreams is this against that the likeness of a face confronting a face from an unclean thing what will be made clean and from something false what will be made true divinations and omens and dreams are folly and like a woman in travail, the mind has fancies. That's what I was just the, the comment that I made about Scrooge about you might just be a bit of undigested beef, and that was his response to his partner Marley coming to visit him first and telling him about these uh, these um, others that would come and visit him later. <clears throat> Unless they are sent from the Most High as a visitation, do not give mind to them. For dreams have deceived many, and those who put their hope in them have failed. Without such deceptions, the law will be fulfilled, and wisdom is made perfect in truthful lips. If one sacrifices from what has been wrongfully obtained, the author, uh, the offering is blemished. The gifts of the lawless are not acceptable. And so that, that for instance, goes to um, Judas trying to return his 30 pieces of silver to the temple treasury that he was paid to betray Jesus. And they say, no, no, that's blood money. Well, it was blood money when you paid it. It didn't become blood money just when Judas accepted it. And so they, they say that the money was wrongfully obtained, so the offering is blemished, and it's not acceptable. But they don't see their own guilt in paying the blood price to betray Jesus. And so we do need to be careful. All funds are tainted. You know, ultimately, because they're all fungible. So we don't know. We can't trace provenance on money. It's just not possible to do that. And so um, there's a lot of ways to get, quote, ill-gotten gain. Um, I I saw a lot of it when I did uh, expert testimony work. I saw a lot of people who were willing to essentially, lawyers and and experts alike, who were willing to prostitute themselves for the hope of of gain. And, And I would say that that is equally wrong. As a, even just to take mafia money would be wrong, but to take that money too would be wrong. Um, the Most High is not pleased with the offerings of the ungodly, and he is not propitiated for sins by a multitude of sacrifices. Just because you're piling up sacrifices doesn't say or suggest even that the state of your heart has changed and that you've actually repented of sin. It might be that you confess sin, but you have every intention in the world of continuing to pursue that line. Like one who kills a son before his father's eyes is the man who offers a sacrifice from the property of the poor. And I've certainly seen that, um, where people just, they do predatory things. And it's not even uncommon, to be perfectly honest with you. It could be somebody who owns a piece of real estate, doesn't take care of it, lets it run down and, and makes the tenants live in this, this place that they don't have the money to improve, and they continue to, to live there because, well, they don't have options. And so now this person is just collecting money from that and then turns around and, and, get, and gives it to the church. And, and we need to be careful about that. We need to, to make sure that, that our ethics and our morals in our business uh, world are okay. You know, or do they fit in with God's thing? The, the bread of the needy is the life of the poor, and whoever deprives them of it is a man of blood. To take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. And, and these are all things that, that call us to think about the long term 
and they, they call us to say, you know, short-term gain is, uh, is really just short-term gain in the long run. What have we compromised? We've compromised our souls in doing these things. So that, that's the point of all of that from Ecclesiasticus. In the gospel today, Jesus is going to take up those same issues, and in the passage from Revelation, you're going to hear the same. So someone in the crowd, Jesus, remember, has been teaching, and, it, and we've told that there was thousands of people there, and the Sadducees, or the Pharisees and the scribes are around the edges trying to trip Jesus up on his word, but then you've got all these people coming because they, they are believing in Jesus. And so someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, that's, a, that's a, not an atypical thing for a rabbi to do. Because they're they're going to apply Jewish law to the situation, and there they're going to then make a decision on who gets what in the inheritance. And so this man apparently has a grievance against his brother. He didn't think that he got what he was supposed to have gotten from the inheritance, and so he, he calls out to Jesus to do this. But he, Jesus, said to him, man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you? So uh, where do you think I got the um, the the appointment? to become the person who would decide such disputes? It's an interesting question because it's a direct quotation from um, Exodus 2, when Jesus has killed the Egyptian who was harming the Israelite, uh, Jesus, Moses had killed the Egyptian who was harming the Israelite on one day, and then the next day he sees two Israelites fighting, and he goes and, and tries to separate them, and, and have them make peace with one another, that's exactly the question he's asked. Who made you ruler and judge over us? And so he had stepped into a role that, that he didn't have an answer to that question, at least not an answer that he thought would, would provide um, comfort to uh, or encouragement to the men who asked the question. And here, this guy asked Jesus to do this, and, and Jesus says, who made me a ruler and judge over you? And that's not—it's a good question. It's an interesting question because he calls him teacher, and, and that is indeed is one of the things that a teacher will do. And so then the question becomes, is really what Jesus is asking is, where do you think my authority to do that comes from? Who made me that? Because he's not recognized in that role in the community. So he wants to ask this guy, so who made me ruler and judge over you? And, and so what it's doing is trying to separate a dispute between a couple of Jewish people. So here, Jesus quotes from Exodus 2, and the guy had to know that. And so there's this interesting dichotomy in, in what's happening here, that Jesus is indeed ruler and judge, but that's not his role at the present time. It's not to decide disputes between Jewish people. He's more than a teacher, and that's one of the things that, that needs to be said over and over and over again, because there's a lot of people who will say he was a great moral teacher. Well, then follow him. Trust him. Where did he get his authority to be a great moral teacher? And so here he's more than a teacher, but he, and he is ultimately ruler and judge over this man and everyone else on earth. But in this moment, in, this, in the incarnation, that's not what he is. And he said to them, to the crowd then, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. In other words, you're worried about the wrong thing, man. There, there's something much greater than that here available to you in this moment than to make me ruler and judge over a property dispute or an inheritance dispute, and you're focusing on the wrong thing. You've just shown me what you think is the most important thing, and you're standing here in the presence of Messiah, and you're saying this is the most important 
same thing. And then he told him a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your son is requ- soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the man had options, right? I mean, he didn't have to store his crops in bigger barns. He was already a wealthy man. That's what we're told. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So what, what, what options did he have rather than to build barns? Well, he could have given it away. He obviously already had plenty. And so, but yet he wanted to arrogate more for himself than he already had when he did have options about how to dispose of the things that he had. And so now what's happened is God says, you're not going to get the ability to dispose of that. That's taken away from you now because of your attitude. You won't get the opportunity to decide who gets what you had. And that's exactly what he says. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? And he said to his disciples then, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, it's funny when I I read that, I think about the the story um, that you hear told about storing up things for the winter to come and the grasshopper doesn't, the others do and so they have food for the winter and the grasshopper doesn't have food for the winter and so when you when you read this is this kind of the the opposite of that jesus says you know basically when he teaches them to pray he says give us this day our daily bread with the expectation that that prayer will be answered because that's what god does so here he he tells them to be that kind of radically dependent on the lord and then he says how much more value are you than the birds and which of you being able anxious can add a single hour to his span of life In other words, it doesn't do you any good. So what difference does it make? Let it go. If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He's calling us to this radical trust, and he's living it out as well. He, he's not practicing a, a living or you know doing anything to make a living here. He is trusting in the Father to provide for all things, as he told his disciples to do when he sent them out two by two and told them to don't take anything for your journey. And don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He's comparing them here to the nations and saying, you should be different than the nations. They seek after these things. Why are you doing that? Because you know you can trust your Father. He's proven himself to you again and again. Instead, he says, seek the kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. If you keep yourself focused on the main thing, then everything else will take care of itself because God will take care of it for you. All he wants is for you to be single-minded about these things. And so don't be short-sighted. Be long-sighted in these things. Be far-sighted. See, look down the line and see what's most important. And eternity is more important than today, and God's got today. He's proven it forever. And so that's exactly right. So we don't 
we don't manipulate and we don't compromise in our business practices to go back to the Ecclesiastes passage simply because we could profit from it in the short term because that short term thing could actually be completely taken away from us immediately. No, keep your ethics and morals the same no matter what the situation of your life is. Be honest always. In the Revelation passage, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems, the crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. I mean, can this thing be any more clear about what it is? I mean, there's nothing attractive about it. There's, there, there, it should be obvious to people that this is not a good thing. And remember yesterday, what we saw was the dragon was standing on the sea, and now this beast arises out of the sea, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. These are three predators, obviously. I mean, obviously, if you saw this thing in reality, you would never, ever accept anything from it. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, remember, one of the temptations was is that if Jesus would bow down and worship Satan, then he would receive all the kingdoms of the earth. And so Jesus said no to that, but this thing, this beast, says yes to it. And on one of its heads, it seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So there's a false resurrection here. It, it appeared to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And so there's a, there's a phony Christ. This is the Antichrist. It's the one there, that looks like it had died, and now it's been raised from the dead. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And so what was the call of Jesus is to follow me. And so now here we've got people who are following this beast, which should be completely obvious to everyone based on its appearance and the blasphemous names that are on its head. But a, a world that has rejected God no longer has any place or category for blasphemy. Because if there's no God, there's no blasphemy. And they worship the dragon. The, the, not the beast, but the dragon. They worshiped a false god. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So what you get is, that, remember in um, Revelation 4 and 5, in Revelation 4, all worship is is directed to the throne and in revelation 5 when the lamb looking like it was slain appears before the throne now when it takes the scroll from the hand of the one seated on the throne now what you get is worship directed at the two of them so here what we get is is the resurrection of this beast then becomes an opportunity to worship the one who resurrected it but also the beast because who is like the beast and who can fight against it and the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. I mean, what is attractive about this? But there, there are things that are attractive to people. They don't recognize they're worshiping demonic powers. A demonic power would be something that decided that abortion was a good. A good. Not just safe, rare, and legal, but a good, a public good. And that's what's being said, and it's what's being said for the last whatever number of years, but way more insistently over the last six months than you could ever have imagined. It's it's not something that we want to be uh, safe, legal, and rare. It, it's a public good. People are shouting their abortions as though it was a good. And so their ability to recognize this thing as a beast and as a demonic entity is gone. They, like I said, they don't have spaces for things like blasphemy except for things that they call hate speech, which is dead naming, for instance, somebody who, who has supposedly 
transitioned from one sex to the other, and you can't do that biologically, by the way. It's not possible to do that. But blasphemy is the rule of the day. That's what cancel culture is based on, is what they consider to be blasphemy, which is to be speaking against the current thing in any way. So the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, so three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So there are blasphemies against God all the time in our society today and in our world today. The, The militant new atheist group, for instance, does this all the time. I see it constantly on social media. And the beast was given a mouth. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have stopped there. (laughs) Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and try to conquer them. Well, we see some of that beginning, right? And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, where we've seen every tribe and people and language and nation before. That's the multitude that we saw earlier, the myriads upon myriads that we saw earlier in the book of the Revelation in chapter 7. And then all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So, wait, if you're not a Calvinist, how do you interpret that? Their name was not been written before the foundation of the world. These things were already decided before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And so the the Lamb who was slain is also from before the foundation of the world. So what we're told here is before the foundation of the world, God knew all of this, and he knew all whose names would be written in the book of the life, even before they came into being. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, captive to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. In other words, there's a, there's a certain amount of uh, God's foreknowledge here, and, and you can't stop that from happening when it does. And so what we there's an acceptance that comes with understanding and appreciating and, and resting in the sovereignty of God. There's an acceptance that comes along with that that says this is God's will, and therefore it is good. And so, you know, there's no reason to fight against these things. If they're going to happen, then they're going to happen, period, in the sentence. But that doesn't mean don't pray that it not happen. It just means that God's will will be done. And here's a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. And how do we endure and what faith do we have? We have faith in the sovereignty of God, that he knows all things, that he controls all things, that that nothing happens that surprises him. And then the resurrection is what tells us we can endure because Jesus endured to the end through great persecution. And yet even at the cross prayed, Lord, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So keep a, a, a long-range view in mind in every single decision you take during any given day.